everybody. Good morning once again. If I happen to have missed you earlier, my name is Wayne, the pastor here at Downtown Community. And uh, I don't know if you have ever had the privilege of playing hide and seek, uh, but with a toddler or maybe even a preschooler. Uh, and I've, if, you, if you, those of you who know me know I have three kids. They're in middle school now. So, um, but it's, it's amazing. You'll when they're really, really young, you know, you'll, you'll count down to, you know, like 10 or 20, not very long. And if the first time you ever do this, it's amazing because you open your eyes and you're shocked because they're right there. <laughs> they're right in front of you. And like I remember one of my kids was behind a, a, a floor lamp, you know, a tall lamp with a skinny pole. And they're just right there like this. They're hiding. And in their mind, like if they, if they can't see you, like, it, like if their eyes are closed, like, if they can't see you, you can't see them. I figured that out. That's what was going on. And so as a parent, you're like, you're like whoa. <laughs> and, or if you've done this with, like, a, a niece or nephew or, you know, a sibling, I don't know. But you're, and so then you got to act like, well, where are you? <laughs> I'm like, you're right there, and it just blows your mind. And so you have to kind of go around the room. And, and I always did it, like, to, to, like, show them possible hiding spots. Are you behind the curtain? Like, that's a good spot, you know, like, behind the door. And so then you find them, and they're all excited. They can't believe it. And then you've got to learn to hide the same way because it's not very obvious to them. Uh, it, it, fun little toddler thing, and, I, and I, I was, I'm going to tie this to other things, I promise. Um, let's go. Now, fast forward uh, to, to high school, college age. For me, I'm going to share a little bit of uh, a small part of my, my journey and my pursuit of God. Uh, starting around high school, uh, and, then, and then very much so on when I really began my, my real working life and in college, post-college, I decided in my relationship with God to do what, what we in the church circles call tithe. And it's, it's a word that basically means you give 10% of everything you earn to God. And so in the Old Testament scriptures, this was something that God had asked the nation of Israel to do. And it was God actually commanded a, a tithe. And, and when and when the New Testament, when Jesus came along, there was really a new standard set. Um, but, but a lot of the, the people in the Christian circles like love to honor that because there's great principles that come out of that. And I was taught that growing up. And I actually teach our kids to do the same. Like they, we give them money to, to, to use in their lives and we teach them to do set aside 10% to give and then 20 to save and then they live on the rest. And it's just this principle of teaching them how to be wise with their money. And so I was taught this, and I decided to do, to do that with my life. No one was forcing me. Uh, and, and so I did this when I made a small amount of money. And it's just as I've grown in my salaries and positions and roles, you know, I've, just, I've, I've decided to keep that up. And, and it had everything to do for me in that decision with my relationship with God. I, I wanted to be obedient to Him. And so I had been taught that, and I heard it at a young age, and I, and I wanted to follow that. But it uh, you know, but, but it was honestly, I, I really loved Jesus. For me, I, I remember as a high schooler, just, and I, I wanted to do that. It was a decision that I made on my own. My, my kids will make that decision on their own one day. I was his, he was my God, and he was mine, and, and, and so it was part of my relationship with him. It's, it's one of the ways in which I've decided to follow him, and I still do. Now, here's a funny thing. Growing up in this tradition 
growing up and doing these things, while I was taught these spiritual principles, and they, and they would talk about money. My parents would talk about that and, and learning to give and give first. And, and the church that I belonged to, that we were part of, was a great loving church and, and all those different things. All that, I was still, I was never taught, and I'm not joking here, how to manage my money. <laughs> it's like they would talk about that one side of things, but I was never taught how to manage my money. Now, now thankfully, this doesn't happen in every church, but, but there, are, there are churches that don't actually ever talk about the practical side of things. They're like, you should just do this. And, and so it's a really weird thing as, as, I've, as I've reflected on this over the years. And so it engages the heart. It engages belief, which is, in, which is incredibly important. But they, they forgot the mind, which is also incredibly important. And so there's a, there's a weird theology that, if, if you're not careful in these situations, that gets formed out of this. And so they'll start with this, where they'll say, trust God, and he will provide. And that's based on Scripture. Like, one of the descriptions of God is that he is provider, that's one of the names that he has for them himself, he gives for himself, is he's provider. And so that is true. Like, it is true that he does provide. So we say, trust God and he will provide. And then we just kind of have this huge empty spot after that, and we just start to fill in the blank, whether consciously or subconsciously. And so we'll say, trust God and he will provide no matter what decisions you make. Like, trust God and he provide, and I get to just fill in the blank, no matter what decisions I make. And I like to call this the genie in the lamp God. Now, all of us eventually want to God to be that kind of God for us. We rub the lamp, God, will you do this for me? And, and you know, we all kind of do that in some way or another. But it's kind of like that toddler hiding seek. It's like this invisibility cloak. Trust God and he will provide, and everything's going to be fine. I just close my eyes. I can't see it, right? So it doesn't exist. And so we're just kind of playing this little toddler hide and seek. And so, you know, we're hiding behind this lamp thinking none of my dumb decisions matter. God's got me. <laughs> like, I think I've heard people say that phrase before. It's, it's interesting to me, and I look back in this. So why I honored God with using a, a, a term from Scripture with my first fruits so he's getting the first of what I make. That's the, the point of this. And that's a great principle to live on. You should. But God doesn't stop me from making dumb decisions. He's given me free will. <laughs> and he certainly doesn't promise to bail me out of dumb decisions. But I went ahead and did a bunch. <laughs> right? So, I, you know, I'm like... You know, trust God and he will provide. All right. And then, you know, whatever happens. And so some person showed up on my college campus and they had shrunk down T-shirts the size of a hockey puck. And they're like, hey, sign up for a credit card and we'll give you a hockey puck T-shirt. And I'm like, all right, I want a credit card and a hockey puck shirt. That's great. Like, you know, I, I have no idea what was on this shirt. I love, I love free T-shirts, your college. And so there you go. I got two shirts, meaning I got two credit cards over time. Uh, they came back again. Like, you should do that. I was like, all right. So I signed, I mean, I got credit cards, and I, I found emergencies, which would be really funny, but they don't exist, thank God, the old statements, to see what my emergencies were, because they racked up in college. Uh, you know, I've, I, I, got, I, went, I bought a car at some point, and I went into debt for this car, but it was, it was very, like, low in price, <laughs> and so it was just not, there was not really a need to do that, and so... You know, just made, you know, just these things compounded. There's all kinds of things that I 
did. I signed for student loans that I could have probably done a little harder work on and research to not even do those things. And these things eventually, the bill came due. And I made a decision. And so my, my heart was lined up, but not my mind. And both of those are critical. Jesus speaks to both. Jesus speaks to both. Both are needed and important. Both are needed and important. And since then, I'm very thankful, and very soon after that, actually, I had those that I was around in, in my you know, Christian circles that, were, that taught me how to be wise, along with engaging the belief in my heart. I am so thankful for that. I, was, I took financial classes. I, I set a plan that I still follow to this day that, I, that was not too long after college. And I'm so thankful for that. And so today, I share this story because today I'm going to engage in a significant conversation for all of us. And if you allow it, I believe it has the power to really impact your life in a significant way. And so I share my story, and you may have guessed it, but I, I want to engage in a conversation about money today, giving, and finances. And, and, and I want to engage our heart and our mind. And so today I'm going to really focus on our heart and belief and how that's it, foundation is important. And next week is super important is, is how we be wise and how we engage our mind. Both of those are critical. But you might say, well, why, why teaching on money? Why, why engage that here in this setting, in this place? Shouldn't that be for financial advisors? Like financial advisors outside the church, people are paid for this, or a class you take, or, you know, some college thing. Like, you know, here's the thing. That's the thing without money is it doesn't matter who you are. You can be the person that is the financial advisor that can teach a class. You know, you can be independently wealthy, or uh, you can be poor, you can be rich, or somewhere in between. And all, all of these places can be bad with money. And most are, most are. I've been a pastor now in, in some capacity for 20 years. I was ordained 20 years ago. I know I look so young, you know, but uh, it wasn't that, you know, I started early. Uh, but it, it wasn't until about nine years ago that I, I first began teaching, like actually teaching about money and finances. And so it was here in, in downtown Jersey City and, and many who were my audience were in the financial industry, which is still true today. A part of our church has always been the case. Like, we're just so connected to lower Manhattan, Midtown. That's just always going to be that. And, you know, and it's connected to Wall Street and banks and all, all those industries. And, and, so, and so in the beginning, to teach about that, I actually did, you know, to be honest, it felt a little intimidating. Like, do I have something that, that I need to contribute? But, but I soon found out, as I pastored those that were, were part of the, the, church, the churches that I was with and part of, and then eventually here at DCC as well, and I began to pastor these men and women that I see so deeply that none of us are immune to unwise financial decisions. And in fact, many of us have never really thought about it. Many of us actually don't have much of a plan. And so this is a conversation for everyone, every one of us here today, wherever you are at in your journey. I, I have friends who, 
who, you know, one was a VP at a high-end financial institution in the city. They owned a second home and, the, you know, vacation place that they would go to. And, and it, was, it was much later on in their lives, they actually took a financial course and it changed their life. Like they had all this extra money, they still they were actually living on a very solid plan and they began to really utilize the resources they have. And they were generous people. But I remember seeing that happen and, and then them make changes in their life. And it was just, it was, and I thought that they really, really were, were smart and wise, but they still needed advice. They still needed wisdom. I've seen financial teachers, someone who's offered to help me teach a class in our church one time, and they turned around and I watched them make really dumb decisions financially. Like, you know, why is this? Why do we need this? Like, it's because money, and this seriously happened this early on in our church, it's because money is personal. It's emotional. I would do a really good job managing your money, but not so much with mine because it's emotional when it comes to me. Well, how do we know this? What led us to some of these principles? Who, who taught us this? And so that's what I want to get to today. So the foundation of what we do with our money our, and our actions, the actual things we do, it all comes from our heart. There's a deep belief that you have, and you could say, I don't believe in God, or you might be on, you know, somewhere on that, but you still have a, a foundation, a belief that you stand upon, and it comes from who you are, your heart. And our actions financially come out of that. And so we also need to prepare, you know, pair that with our minds and what we do. We need to think about it. Both those things need to come together. And so what I want to do today is share with you a couple of specific interactions, uh, stories from Jesus' life. And he immediately takes these interactions and turns them into teaching moments. And he is a phenomenal way of engaging us. And Jesus would talk about money. He talked about a lot of things. And it's fascinating that he, he talked about money because it's so important because he ties it not about amount but to our hearts. And so as we read through these today, here is, here is going to be the God of the universe speaking to us, speaking to you about one of the most important areas of your life. Something that you think about a lot. You think about a lot. And I want to start with an interaction Jesus has with a, what was called a young, is a young wealthy man. He's also called a, a, a young, a rich young, we know have called him the rich young ruler. He's a young ruler. So he's successful early on in his life. And, and by the way, before I jump into this, I, I, I briefly said something about this, but I want to remind you all, if you're with us last year, of a principle we talked about last year with, with money, with God and money. He, he looks at us, he, for him and his interactions with us, it has nothing to do with the amount of money that we have, how much, how full our bank accounts are, what our investments are, whatever. God doesn't look at us in that way. We look at each other like that, right? We, we, we determine if we're poor or rich or, you know, we give status based on those types of things. And God does not look at that at all. He's looking at our hearts and he's always engaging us in that way. And the more that we align our hearts with him and that, it's so freeing. But just understand that that's how he interacts with us. And so I'm going to take us, this is found in Luke, I believe Luke 12. And this is whoa, 18 verses 18 through 25. It says this, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I love this. 
like this phrase, good teacher. You know, he's, he's giving him his props. He, he recognizes that Jesus is bringing words uh, that are significant, that he, because he seems to have authority from God, and, but he's presenting a nice good face. And so he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this is a, a, a question about eternity. And Jesus loves engaging these, these conversations. This is great. And his response is awesome. He goes, why do you call me good? Jesus answered. And he says something significant. He says, no one is good except God alone. And the funny thing is, here is Jesus. He's part of the Trinity. He's, he is God, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like, there you go. And so he is good. It's funny, but he's, he's making a statement that's important. Like, no one is good except God alone. And he points to him. He says, he says you know the commandments. He says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor, honor your father and mother. Now, now, what commandments is he talking about here? Well, I think most of you know, these are the Ten Commandments. He's referring, to, these are some of the latter ones. The second part of the Ten Commandments have to do with our, our relationships with others. Which, by the way, in two weeks, I'm be engaging a new series on the Ten Commandments, I've never, I've talked about them many times, but never like in a, in a very focused point of view. And I think it's going to be great. I want to really turn the Ten Commandments up on their head and really change how you think about and to show us how God is using that and interacts with our life. You don't, you don't want to miss it. It's a series that's called Nope, and that's coming in two weeks. I'm really excited about that. So anyway, the Ten Commandments. So Jesus, this is a big part of the culture that he's, he's, he's you know, addressing at the time. So he lists, he lists you know, several of these, not all of them. And his, this guy's response uh, is fascinating. He goes, all these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. And Jesus had already established no one is good. He's all these I've kept. Well, good job. You didn't murder somebody or didn't commit adultery as a kid, right? You know, like you, you, good job. You kept, the, you know, so, and so this is fascinating. So Jesus says, when he heard this, Jesus said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now what's fascinating is the last statement there is he's saying, what's, how do you find eternal life? He's saying, come, follow me. But, but he gave them something to do before that. Why is that? He knew that something was in the way. And the young man immediately was aware. It says, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You ever heard the camel through the eye of a needle phrase before? That's where we get it. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Does this mean like to, to be okay with God, to have eternal life, to be saved? Does that mean that, that you have to give away everything to him? Is this the recipe that like Jesus is saying, this is the formula? Was this Jesus' standard for everybody? Well, no, actually, it wasn't. This is a specific interaction with him in this moment. 
And so we see what Jesus identifies in him, and he brings this out. It's like, he's like, I've kept all these commandments. I'm doing. Like, we see pride. Like, no one is good. You can't do this. And really, in, in the Apostle Paul, in the teachings, uh, he, when he addresses the commandments, he, he says they were only really there. They, they show us that we can't do it. We can't actually keep them. We need someone else to do this. And so Jesus is addressing his heart. He's not teaching us that salvation comes via philanthropy. This is all about what matters most for us. And it comes down to giving Jesus first place. That he is actually your God. Jesus knew the God of his heart and what would keep him from actually following God. He actually didn't really, he wanted his life to match up with eternity. He was just his little extra thing to add on to everything else he was doing. And so Jesus is helping you and I see what it means to follow God. We're saying to him, you are my God. You are my all. You are the greatest. You are better than anything else in my life. And any other identity that I can pursue that gives me meaning or that I can latch on to, whether it's sex or money or position or power or recognition or an apartment or travel or your wardrobe or all of the above, like we, we pursue our identity in these things to, 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 to give us meaning. And ultimately find that they, they can't really fulfill. You have to constantly re-up them or push them further. And we say to him, you are my all. And Jesus knew what had this young man. He knew what had his heart. And the interesting thing is, so did he. So did he. Because he became very sad. And so he walks away. Now, here's what interesting thing is, does this mean that it's wrong to be rich? If you are rich, is it wrong? And by the way, everybody here today is rich. I don't know if you know this, uh, but you might be like, I don't feel like everybody here today is easily in the top 1% of the world. It actually is not very hard in, in America to achieve that place. Isn't that interesting? there's a good chance that many of us are in the top half a percent in the world. So all of us are there. <laughs> it's not wrong to have money. It's interesting, like Luke is writing, is, is, you know, engaging us with this story. And Luke, this gospel writer, was not forming this gospel against the rich. He, actually, he includes... He includes a lot of monetary instructions from Jesus. It's, you know, all the stories that, you know, in the life that Luke documents for us. But Luke was someone who was not poor. He was known to be a physician. And so a physician at that point in time, similar to what it is now, is, is generally well paid. And the same would have been true then. He was well traveled. We know that. He was very well connected. In fact, his, his gospel, the gospel of Luke, he's writing it to, he addresses it to the most excellent Theophilus. It was been to some ruler at the time, some Roman official most likely. It was someone who would have had money. So he, this is, the audience wasn't just some poor audience that was just kind of barely scrapping it together. It was an audience of all kinds. And so it's not, about that at all. 
There would have been people who were rich reading it. And so these words should seep down deep for us. We should really take these in because Jesus is helping us always see what will lead us to destruction. Jesus is always engaging in a conversation about what matters the most. And we should lean in when that happens. And so we see that there are dangers for the rich. Jesus says to this guy, he says, how hard it is for those who have money, who are wealthy, who are rich, to enter the kingdom of God. There is something that will distract us and keep our hearts from him. And so there's this warning that Jesus is engaging. He's saying you need to know this and be aware of this. But what's great and beautiful is, is, is there are big dangers for the rich. There are also big opportunities. There's a positive side of all of this. So if, if there are big dangers for the rich, there are also big, you can, you can put that up there on the screen if you'd like. There are also big opportunities. And I want us to know that. What if God has gifted you in this way for a reason? He has blessed you for a reason. And I really believe that you'll never experience the incredible joy of this without God first. In your life. This is really what we, are, we see Jesus constantly showing us, that he is the ultimate. He's calling you toward the best thing that you could ever pursue in your life, and everything else is a counterfeit. It doesn't actually really fulfill you constantly all the time. You can find great pleasures and things, and none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. When we make them the idols of our life, they never really satisfy and leave us empty. Jesus says to us in Matthew 16, one of his words and teaching, he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. He says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? It's like those words, be careful, you can gain everything and miss out and really lose it all. He's leading us in a conversation about what is most important, what will really satisfy us. Okay, so how do we put God first? What does this look like? Well, let me tell you, take you to a, another interaction that Jesus had. This is found in Luke 12, verses 13 through 21. And what's interesting is this leads us into an interaction in, in words that we've heard many times from Christ. And so it says here, it says, then someone calls, he's teaching, he's in the big, large crowd, and someone calls from the crowd and says, um, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. I mean, it's such an interesting thing, like he's teaching and all this is happening, and this guy is like apparently really mad, and this whole thing's been bubbling up, and he just kind of blurts it out. He's like, this guy, Jesus is going to settle it all for us. And Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? I love that statement. He's like, man, I don't have anything to do with it. I love that. Like, I think we come to God many times like that. But um, God tells him what to do. So, you know, but, um, but then he, but he sees what's driving this. So Jesus goes to the heart of all of it. He goes to the principle. And so he says, it says this. Says, then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Isn't that fascinating? Guard against every, life is not measured by how much you own. It's one of those unreal statements. 
you let that sink in. He's like, this is the mind part. He says, you need to think about it. He says, guard against every kind of greed. There's always this intentionality that, that we see that God is, is calling us to in our lives. And he says, life is not measured by how much you own. This is an incredible principle. What he's saying is the focus of our life determines what we do with our money. The fo- like what you're focused on, what's, what's the, the deep down thing for you, what you care about the most, it, it, that, that determines the actions of your money. So what is the focus of your life? So Jesus continues here. He says, then he told them a story. So he begins to teach. He gives the illustration. He says, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. So this guy had a lot of money. Like he's got a fertile field with fine crops. That, that meant he was banking, right? So he's a rich man. There you go. He says, he said to himself, what should I do? He says, I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And then listen to this. He says, and I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough. You have enough. That word, that word. Here was a guy who was already rich. He's got, he's got great crops. He's got everything that he's, got. he's saying he didn't have enough. He says, what am I going to do? He says, then, then I'll say, like, I'll, that's when I'll sit back. I'll do all these things, and then I'll have enough. You ever chase that? Like, we just, I just got to do this thing, and then I can do this. If I make this amount of money, then I'll be okay, and then I'll do this. Like, we, tra- we chase that. We think, like, this, and what, like, if I've, I always use this analogy. Like, we always just go to the line, and then you meet. Like, you have things that come up. Like, expenses go up. Cars go up. Like, uh, like and then you're like, well, I need more. And like, it, it, you'll, you'll talk to people. The, the higher their salary goes, usually the, the higher the stakes are. We say, then I'll have enough, but that never really ends. What for you would make you feel like you have enough? So he says, my friend, you, he says, he goes, then I'll sit back to myself and say, my friend, you have enough. You have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Jesus is exposing the fallacy of these pursuits that we have because eventually your life ends. Like, What, what, what do you have to, to, to do with that? And then Jesus says this. He says, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Now, is Jesus saying you shouldn't have a savings account, you shouldn't save, you shouldn't, no, I mean, there's, no. But listen to the priority. 
This is how it will be whoever stores up things for who? For themselves and is not rich towards God. That last statement is key. Just like that young man he was talking to. What is the point? What is the point of the purpose? Is it you or is it God? See, our money shows who has priority. And this is what Jesus is wanting us to see. And it's so critical because we don't usually have this kind of conversation. But it shows you the focus, right? So the focus of your life determines what you do with your money. Well, what's the focus of your life? Well, look at your money. Your money shows who has priority. Now, this doesn't mean you give, you know, you might decide to give everything to God. Like that happens. That happened. Actually, the early church, like their standard of giving was unreal. They gave everything away. It, it blows me away. No one had any needs. There are historical documents that talk about the early churches, that, they're, that, that the emperors are mad because, like, he's like, they're doing better than our city can. They were so incredibly generous, but, like, that doesn't mean that it's like a 90-10 principle. But your money shows you, that, like, what is your purpose Jesus said to us, and there's, and there's so many great teachings, he says, where your, where your money is, there your heart will also be. You. Your heart equals you. Whatever you are chasing now becomes you. Beware of all kinds of greed. There's all kinds. Greed seeps into our lives, whether we have a little money or a lot. Just when you get a lot, it just makes it bigger, magnifies it. Whatever you're chasing now, the way your life is being lived, all of that is becoming you. We say, when I get to this point, then I'll be this way. But we don't realize all along the way that what we're doing is us. Anything other than God as the priority of our life eventually will lead us to our destruction. We, we lose. What's really telling is the very next thing that Jesus says. And I'm, I'm running out of time. I've got to, I want to say all these things. It's so, it's so important. The next thing. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. That phrase means do not be anxious. It's in the original Greek word that was written here, there are translations that literally say do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or about your body or what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. All the things that we're pursuing, you know, he's saying food, that was the most important things for them at the time. Food was really important. They didn't have refrigerators. It was a lot different. He says, life is more than this. Sounds a lot like a statement we've read before. And what's fascinating is, in, in the context, maybe you've heard that phrase before from Jesus, but in the context of what he said right before that, he's like, what drove this man who was rich, he was wealthy, he was okay, what drove him to do the things he was doing? He was anxious. He was worried. Isn't that interesting? We would look to someone like that and say, that person, is like if I could be in that person's shoes, I would be at peace, I would be okay, I wouldn't be as anxious and worried as I am now. But what we're discovering is it's the opposite, it's not true at all. 
notorious B.I.G. and Puff Daddy, as he was known at the time, they were right. They were right. They were wise when they said that the more money we come across, what? The, the more problems we see. That's a really wise statement. It's true. It's not saying it's wrong to have money. It's, not, it's wrong to have more money. That's not what it's saying in any kind of way at all. But are you anxious today? Are you worried? Jesus goes on to say, he says, cons- he says, consider the wild, how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. He gave examples. He first talked about, he's like, we're worried about food. He's like, the birds, they have plenty of food. They don't do anything. They don't store away in barns. But the flowers are, he's like, they're dressed more beautifully than anything else. He says, he says, He's like, if that's how God treats the grass of the field, like eventually is gone well, here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? He says, you of little faith. And he says, and do not set your heart. Who was that? That's you. Your soul, that's you, right? Do not set your heart, your beliefs on what you will eat or drink, right? Your wardrobe, your, you know, everything like do not worry about it. For the pagan world, those who don't believe in God, this is all that they chase. They run after all these such things, right? The world we live in, that's all it's about. It will never end, right? The rat race, whatever we want to call it, like it's just, it's never ending. Your job, you finish a project, it's like, you know, the, the movie Elf where they celebrate Christmas being done and then Santa's like, let's get ready for next year. Like if we just, you just keep going, it doesn't stop. He's like, it's all they pursue and it's true. He says, but your father knows that you need them. He's saying, trust me. He says, but seek first. And here's the answer. Seek first his kingdom. and All these things will be given to you as well. With God, it's not about amount. He's showing us the priority. This is secret <laughs> to how he's made you and I to live. Just like he was showing the young man, who has priority? With God, it's not about the amount. It's about who has you. You think you have money, but usually money has you. It's not about the amount. And when you and I begin to believe and live that out, there is so much freedom and joy. Today is about the heart, your belief. If you're a Christ follower here today, are you rich towards God? The question to ask yourself is, who are you rich towards? I've got a plan for vacation and for things. I've researched Apple Watches before, recently. <laughs> Are these the priority of your life? What's first? And do you, the other question is, do you have God? Do you have this peace? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their 
sake. GCC, I care about you. So does God. Jesus is leading us in the most significant conversation. My guess is, from my years of pastoring, you're anxious. My guess is, knowing the demographic and the city and the neighborhood that we all live in, we're worried. Let's enter into the rest that Jesus wants us to experience. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for your words to us. I pray that we would experience what you've called us to, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. I also pray that we would experience the freedom of, 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 of not being worried about money, but being joyful, being joyful in what you've given us. May we experience the purpose that you want everything to be, and may you be the priority of our lives. We thank you, Father, and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.